Hello! Welcome to the What Type Ones Eat podcast. I am so happy that you've decided to join me today as we discover together how different type ones eat to help them manage their diabetes, but also how they manage the, their diabetes with the different foods they eat. And today's podcast sees an incredible lady. Uh, she is a nutritionist, a recipe book author, recipe creator, a crossfitter, ex-swimmer, and oh, so much more. Today, we welcome Nina, or naturally Nina on Instagram. And she is such an incredible person with so much to learn from. But before we get to chat to her, I just want to remind you guys that nothing on this podcast is intended as medical or nutritional advice and that you should always consult your uh, medical team before making any changes to your diabetes plan. Just as a side note, Nina is from Australia and it was 7am in London when we recorded this podcast, so if I am sort of sleepy or a bit slow, that is the reason why. But without further ado, let's hop in and hear what Nina has to say. Uh, good morning, Nina. Well, it's morning here in the UK and I guess it's daytime. Um, yeah, it's afternoon. Um, how are you? I'm good. I'm really honored to be on your podcast. Well, I'm really excited to have you. Um, and I uh, basically invited you because I know you're one of the most knowledgeable type ones that follows a plant-based diet. And I know that you are a nutritionist yourself, so you have a lot of knowledge to share about the way you eat and the way type one can be controlled by eating, I guess. Am I yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I like to think so. I'm sure you do, because I know I follow you quite a lot. I know what you post and you're really, really knowledgeable. So super excited to have you on. Uh, do Thanks you just want to introduce yourself? Um, yeah, so I'm Nina. I live in the southwest of Western Australia, but I am originally Swiss and I was born in Switzerland. Um, we moved to Australia when I was six years old and yeah, I've been living here ever since. And I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was nine years old. Um, and from there, it kind of turned my life upside down. I'm sure every other type one diabetic can relate. I actually didn't even really know what diabetes was before I got diagnosed. I feel um, like, like a lot of people don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think I just knew what type two was and I didn't really know there were diff two different types and, and yeah, it was, it was definitely a learning experience and has been a learning experience ever since. And I think it still is every day. Yeah, you were diagnosed quite early. I thought you were, I mean, like, not early, late, because I thought you were diagnosed, like, in childhood, childhood. Yeah, no, I mean, looking back, I can't really remember what life was like living without type 1 diabetes. Other I was going to ask not, you. Yeah, just not having to worry about stuff all the time, which and now that I think about it would be so nice. Like, what would I think about all day long? Yeah, I know. Like, where would the headspace go? I just don't even know. <laughs> it would be so nice. I know. Um, so um, just tell me about um, your journey with diet and with food, because I know you have had quite a long story with that. Yeah. So I think 
from when I was first diagnosed, I took my diabetes really well. So like I never really went through a stage where I, you know, was that rebellious teenager and didn't take care of my diabetes or anything like that. Um, I've always been a really big perfectionist in absolutely everything. So I always was like top of the class at school, um, did all my homework, had to get everything right. Uh, and this took the same approach with my diabetes. So I always wanted to have, you know, the perfect blood sugar levels, which every type one diabetic knows that's first of all really really hard but also impossible it is um, yeah, it is yeah and i kind of found a way to control my blood sugar levels was through food and it started off with kind of just not really eating carbs because i found you know carbs increase my blood sugar levels oh, so you've and, been like on the ketogenic-ish side i guess well i don't really want to call it that because I had, you know, keto and low carb didn't really exist at that time. You know, I was about 11, yeah. 12, maybe. It was I just about, you know. You did, but you just didn't really like know about them. Cause I guess at 11, 12, you're not that exposed to all of that media around. Yeah. Well, yeah. You're right. You're totally right. It definitely would have existed. Um, but you know, I wasn't on social media or anything like that. So I wasn't exposed to anything like that. So in my head, it didn't exist. Like I didn't even know what, what calories were at that stage. It was just carbs. Um, I mean, and thank and God it wasn't didn't. Even... Like, it's so annoying when kids right now at the age of 11 or 13 oh, are like, oh, I know what a calorie is. I'm on this diet. Yeah. I'm on that diet. Oh really my God. Bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I just, and it wasn't even like, I would still eat vegetables and nuts and things like that. It was just, I, I wouldn't eat bread. I wouldn't eat pasta. Um, and, and it, it wasn't even like, it was this rule in my head. I just tried to eat as little carbs as possible. And the reason wasn't even because I thought carbs were bad. It was just because I had this idea in my head that if I could not take any insulin anymore, it means I had cured myself of my diabetes. So I would just... So funny because I had pretty much the same story. Like wow. I literally went through the same pattern, but I kind of like came into that from an eating disorder. Yeah. So mine led to an eating disorder. Yeah. Mine so, the other way. Yeah. So I would eat very, very little food and try to not take any insulin for it. So when I did eat, um, I would go and jump in the pool and swim as many laps as I needed to bring my blood sugar back down. Um, and I was basically low all the time as well. So my yeah. blood sugars were absolutely terrible. And the fact that I was probably sitting around like two or three the whole time, which is shocking. Oh, I had like the worst day yesterday. I went to a spin class and I forgot to reduce my basal insulin in the morning. Oh dear. I was so low the whole day. I just felt so bad towards the end of the day. And I was just like, you know, when you're just like so frustrated and you just treat and you know, you're over treating, but you really don't care anymore. That's yeah. what I did. Yeah. And then I was like, you feel so horrible. It's just like, you can't really get enough. Yeah, I know. You just, just want that feeling to go away, even though, you know, it just takes time. Yeah. It was just terrible. But anyway, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, what were we talking about? I forgot already. Yeah, so I basically removed all carbs from my diet. Yeah. I was just exercising a ton. I was also swimming competitively as well. So just the combination of all of those things, I just ended up way over exercising, way under eating and losing a lot of weight. It was unintentional. Like I never meant to lose weight. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that led me to 
a really long fight with an eating disorder that lasted about about 10 years. Um, and of course, from then on, it did evolve into caring about my weight and count, counting mm. calories and things like that. But it definitely didn't stem from that at all. It stemmed just from wanting to be the perfect diabetic. Okay. Uh, you mentioned swimming. Um, how was that in the early ages? How did you get take care of it? Um, look, I don't really remember <laughs> diabetes stopping me from swimming that much. I mean, I, I think I managed it really, really well. And I developed such a big passion for swimming that it was kind of my like rock. Like it was what kept me like going. Like yeah. I remember swimming in the pool and thinking, oh, I really have to stop with this, not eating enough. Like I know I have to eat enough because I have to be able to get stronger. I have to be able to fuel my swimming better. But then, you know, come evening time, dinner at the table, I just couldn't bring myself to eat more. And I just gotten into this really vicious cycle um, of, of not fueling properly for the amount of sport that I was doing, which killed me because I really loved my sport so much. But at the same time, I was just so stuck. I just couldn't change. I remember you telling me the first time we tried to record, um, which failed. Um, but um, I remember you telling me the first time that you uh, that was what kind of kept you through the time of your eating disorder, like that the yeah. supply that made you recover. Exactly. Exactly. You. And it it was also the thing that then finally allowed me to say you know enough is enough I'm I had to quit swimming so I had to stop and this eating disorder was taking away everything from me that I loved I was a shell of a person I wasn't living my life anymore and it was kind of like you know enough is enough and I really want to get my life back again and be able to do the things that I love again and get back to sport that was one of the really big things for me yeah I really feel you on that because I've kind of been through the same very similar story um I know you now do CrossFit so yeah yeah so is... now I do um Olympic weightlifting and a bit of CrossFit and I yeah, coach sorry, Olympic well. weightlifting. Sure. <laughs> that's all right um <laughs> yeah so and and the way that I got into that was really because after I'd finished high school there wasn't really any opportunities to swim anymore there weren't any swim teams beyond school age because I live in a bit of a small town um but there was a CrossFit gym that had just opened well it wasn't that new but it, it was just new to me and I decided to give it a go and I really even though like I was so weak I couldn't even pick up like the 15 kilo barbell mm. um and I remember my coach said that my coach that I still have now he's he said the first time he saw me he thought I looked like Bambi on ice like so thin and so un <laughs> uncoordinated so cute <laughs> I guess so, um, like, as we said last time again, like you just have to start somewhere. Like you can't exactly. Yeah. I think that and like even now you, that like I'm to with your perfectionism as well a little bit. Yeah. Cause I guess like when you're coming into something and you just can't do it pretty much at all, and then you just work towards getting better and better and you don't work towards perfection, that should have really helped you. Yeah. Yeah. It helped me so much because like even the, like the professional athletes, they're, they're not perfect. They still don't get every lift perfect. They still have things that they're working on. And I think that can be a really humbling experience to know that you will never be perfect. But the only thing that you can really do is trying to be better than what you were yesterday. So just keeping on improving and doing your best in that moment, rather than trying to be perfect because it really just doesn't exist anyway. 
Yeah, I don't even like, I don't know, because I just train on my own usually. I am not very competitive in terms of sport, but I am in life and I don't know like how that relates. But um, I just feel that being better than you yesterday isn't the right way to put it either because like you just need to be the best you can be right now yeah no and I agree with that yeah because you know like you can be good yesterday you can feel good yesterday and let's say today you had like 2,000 million hypos you're just not <laughs> totally agree better yeah. than yesterday I agree with that yeah you're right and I think it's more about just doing the best that you can in that moment but then also you know if something doesn't go well like I really had to learn not to let diabetes be my excuse either. You know, if mm. say if I am hypo, I, of course we have to deal with it, but then try and put things into place to not let it happen again. And of course it will happen again, but always doing your best to try and put yourself in the best position as well. And to stop using things as an excuse to, to, you know, stay in a place that you're not happy with. Yeah, sure. It's just like making small iterations and just moving at your own pace. And like yeah, the more absolutely. experiences you have with it, the better you get at it. So totally. Absolutely. Um, so coming back to your eating stories, <laughs> um, after you kind of went low carb and then went through an eating disorder, what happened next? Yeah, so after my eating disorder recovery was, well, during my recovery, I'd say, was when I kind of discovered the plant-based way of eating. And for me with, um, like, I really love animals. I really care about, you know, animal welfare. I really care about the environment and I care about, you know, health and eating foods that are going to support my body and make me feel good and give me the nutrients that I need. And eating plant-based really aligned with my values and it really helped me develop a better relationship with food um, mm. because of those things because I felt like the way that I was eating aligned with my ethical beliefs and my values um, and it made me feel really good as well like all of these foods that I had feared for such a long time um, like carbs yeah basically any type of carbs both fruit and grains and oats and bread and things like that that I had thought were bad for such a long time I saw other people eating them and thriving off that and it allowed me to reintroduce those into my diet and I realized nothing bad actually happens as as long as I give my insulin of course um yeah. and it actually resulted in me having the best a1c's that I've ever had um just because I think because I was, you weren't low anymore <laughs> yeah I wasn't I wasn't low all the time um I I was just becoming a healthier person um, and I felt a lot better as well. And I really enjoyed that type of food. So it's something that it doesn't feel like it's a diet. You know, it's not something that I feel like I have to stick to when I feel like I'm missing out on, on other foods. It's just a way of eating that makes me feel my best. And, and that's why I choose to eat that way. Yeah, because it like veganism is sort of, oh, sorry, like plant-based eating kind of sounds a little bit restrictive but I guess if you don't call it veganism actually it doesn't become that yeah and look that's why I'm not a fan of labels because it can with someone I you know maybe not for everyone but with people who have a background in disordered eating just having really strict labels you know saying oh I'm I'm high carb or I'm low carb or I'm vegan or I'm this you know unless of course you have to be for certain medical reasons I think we shouldn't have to put a label on the way that we eat. Mm -hmm. um, 
and and just you know sometimes you know there might be times where it isn't exactly you know for example 100 percent plant-based is more like whole foods but you know maybe you eat some more processed foods and it doesn't have to be okay now you've cheated on your diet and you need to get back on track it's no there's not really any labels this is just you know maybe a smaller part of your diet and the majority of what you eat is what makes you feel your best yeah so like I don't know after we spoke last time I was kind of I looked at your Instagram and I was like this is quite interesting should I try a more like plant-based approach so I went towards that but like I didn't put any restrictions at all on myself so I eat dairy still I eat cheese I will still eat like a piece of chicken if it's if my family like is making it or whatever so like I'm trying to move towards a more plant-based approach but not consciously it's just like what I'm enjoying to eat yeah and I think that's the way to make it sustainable and to make you enjoy it as well you know it it doesn't have to be all or nothing it can just be you know I'm trying to eat more plant-based but I still include you know some of these foods that my family eats or that I really enjoy eating or you know whatever and that's totally fine as well it doesn't have to be this all or nothing because then that's when people can you know start jumping from fad to fad or they start developing unhealthy relationship with food which also isn't a good place to be in either yeah you know like one thing I'm definitely not giving up is chocolate and there are two specific brands that I'm definitely not giving up because I know there's plenty of vegan stuff out there but there's Hotel Chocolat I don't know if you guys have it Do no you? I don't think I've heard of that one. Oh my god I literally I need to send you like a package of it yes <laughs> um and lint chocolate I, just... I love lint lint is the they best do vegan or did they do just dark um well I actually my favorite chocolate is dark chocolate anyway um yeah I don't know. I just, I just prefer the dark chocolate. And I think my favorite is like the, the lint, the one with the orange in it. I know some people hate that combo, but oh, I, I hate that it. combo. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I, but I don't like the mint one. That's horrible. Oh yeah. That is terrible as well. <laughs> uh, we have like Terry's chocolate orange. I think you guys should have it as well. Oh yeah. But is that dark chocolate or is it like, no, no, no. Is it, it's milk, but it's also yeah. orange. And I'm just like, I really probably no. should buy it. Cause it's such an iconic thing, especially like near Christmas, but I just can't bring myself to buy it. I feel like it has to be like a bitter dark chocolate with orange. If it's like a sweet milk chocolate, that's just gross. Maybe then that's what I should try because I just, <laughs> yeah. I, I do like dark chocolate as well, but I really like, I like both. So I don't mind. Um, I also wanted to mention something that you told me last time we spoke mm -hmm. is that the reason why you became plant-based wasn't based on your blood sugars. So it wasn't yeah. to take care of your blood sugars. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I actually didn't know that it would, you know, nowadays, you know, you have you know, different people speaking about the um, the benefits that they see from blood sugars and, and insulin sensitivity and all of that moving to a plant-based diet. But I actually didn't know about any of that when I decided to go plant-based. And it was basically purely from more of an, an ethical perspective um, that I just felt like, you know, it's, I wanted to reduce my impact on the environment and it just felt right for me. Uh, and then the, the positives that it had on my diabetes was just kind of an extra perk that I got with it that just made it, you know, an extra bonus rather than the reason. And I find that that's actually, uh, you know, a really helpful thing because 
sometimes if you're choosing a way of eating purely for the health reasons, it's really easy to feel restricted or to, you know, fall off the bandwagon because you're like, oh, today I don't really care about my health. Um, So I don't know. That's just my perspective on it. Yeah, I guess it just like, I don't even know why, but it does really become very restrictive. So maybe you can't really be flexible with it because you know what different foods like if you say if you fall off the bandwagon you know what's going to happen to your blood sugars Mm -hmm. and then you try to avoid it maybe as well so Mm -hmm. it doesn't happen and kind of depends on the person yeah and look I also had to learn that no way of eating is going to give me perfect blood sugar levels I think I really like looked for that for a while as well but you know even if you're keto and you don't eat any carbs like there's still going to be things that spike your blood sugars like stress or hormones or you know you didn't do an insulin pump site change in time or you had dodgy insulin or the injection didn't work or you know there's so many reasons that you can have but bad blood sugars or you know out of range blood sugars and that doesn't mean that you ate a food that was bad or that you did something wrong it just is kind of part of being diabetic and we have to see those numbers more as you know these are just numbers these are data points and what we choose to do with them is okay just what we can do best in that moment you know if it's a bit high can I give myself a correction so I come back to a normal range and maybe look at can I do something a little bit differently to prevent it next time maybe yes maybe no but not beat ourselves up about it or you know say I'm never ever going to eat that food ever again yeah I feel it just comes back to this like acceptance and flexibility because things are going to go wrong but learning to correct them and not kind of like air quotes punish yourself for them um, is really important to kind of keep your mental health in place and then it's easier to get your blood sugars down if you're not stressing over it as well because you don't overcorrect, you don't like panic about it and then the stress hormones again it all comes down to just being calm and kind of clear-minded about your diabetes Yes, completely agree. Um, so a f- kind of a follow-up question. Uh, you said your A1Cs went a lot better with um, the plant-based diet. Uh, did your insulin needs kind of go down as well or did you not see that much of a change? Because I know there is a type of diet that's called um, high-carb, low-fat, I think, but I know you don't kind of go with that, do you? Yeah, so a bit of a long story, but I'll try to cut it relatively short. So I I don't think that the plant-based diet changed my A1C um, as such. It did help increase my insulin sensitivity. So before I was eating plant-based, my insulin ratio to carbs was about 1 to 15. Um, and now it's about 1 to 30. Um, but I, I don't even know if that's a hundred, you know, really because of a plant-based way of eating or, or because more of my activity levels, even though I was always quite active, like there's so many factors that come into play. You can't really say what was a hundred percent this. Um, and my A1C, I think it's more because that's also the time that I got a Dexcom. So I started seeing, you know, those, those fluctuations. And of course, when you see it, you, you're going to make changes. Um, and also I started pre-bolusing. So I didn't even know what pre-bolusing was before around that time. And that's when I started you know, giving my insulin about 15 to 20 to 30 minutes, depending on what I'm eating before I eat rather than 
two minutes or one second before I ate. Yeah. So can, I think, I, can I just jump in quickly? Um, who yeah. told you about pre-bolusing? How did you find out about it? I'm pretty sure I learned about it on social media, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think that that is really what made the big difference, not, not really um, what I ate, even though I, I do think those things also contributed, so they helped. And, and about the, the low-fat, high-carb, I did do that for a while. Mm. And look, I have absolutely nothing against people who love doing that and who it works for, but it definitely did not work for me because I just lost too much weight and I wasn't getting all of the nutrients that I needed. And also yeah. with my background in having um, a very disordered relationship with food, it led me to fearing fats, which really was not a healthy place for me yeah. to be. And I then after a really long battle with with myself and fearing fats, I started to reintroduce them and just eating a lot more of a balanced diet in terms of, you know, fats and carbs and proteins. And I feel so much more balanced and grounded that way. And I enjoy my food a lot more. I think it tastes a lot better and is a lot more satisfying. And my blood sugars have not, you know, changed. They're just as good. So yeah, it's so funny how we actually are quite similar because I had this stage where I was really afraid of fats as well. But the thing was, I was afraid of carbs too. So it was just like, (laughs) pretty much. Well, I didn't only eat protein. I did eat like relatively okay carbs, but it wasn't super high. And I was just like, you know, when the fat gives you that like second rise sometimes when you like really have a lot of it in your meal. And I was like just consistently fearing that. So I was just cutting my fat down and down and down and down. I'd still eat it. But I'd, it'd be like minuscular portions, minuscular, minuscular portions, basically. Minuscule, yeah. Yeah. So it's just funny how like our brains work, but they do work in quite the same way. Yeah. Um, you do quite a lot of cooking, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I, I do really enjoy cooking. Um, and... Like, I am just curious, how do you find time for that? Because you're super busy with all of your CrossFit, your work, your clients. Um, How do you find time to kind of cook for yourself and then make recipes as well for us? Well, to be honest, I don't really cook fancy recipes that take a lot of time. Like most of like the maximum something that I make will take is maybe like half an hour. And honestly, like most people have that much time in their day. And, you know, I will always make bigger batches so that I have enough for a few days or at least have enough to eat for lunch the next day as well. So I only have to cook once a day. Um, And then with creating recipes, I really only just make the food that I eat. So, you know, I will make something and then I will share the recipe for that rather than, you know, making special recipes that take three hours to make. And then that's not even one of my meals and I have to cook as well as that. So it's really kind of just, okay, I made this, let's say I made a, this Buddha bowl today for dinner. And then I shared, you know, how I made whatever was in it and, or I made this porridge for breakfast and this is how I made it. And then I take a photo of it and it's really just a photo quickly in my kitchen that takes about 30 seconds rather than, you know, this fancy photo studio that, that the food is cold by the time that you've taken photos of it. I know some people do that, but that's definitely just not me. Yeah. Um, you know, you said you batch cook. Uh, so yeah. I wonder how do you do your carb counting for that? Cause I've always sort of struggled with that. So I usually kind of cook my carbs to get like, let's say I'm making a pasta, I'll cook my pasta separately and then sort of mix it in with everything else. 
if that makes sense. Yeah. So the way that I do it, like, so say if I was making, um, let's just say a bean chili, for example, mm. um, I would, if it was like four portions, I would just make um, a recipe in chronometer. That would be like all the ingredients in it. And then I would weigh it out and see how much the whole thing weighs. And then I would divide that by four. So I know how much one portion weighs mm-hmm. and the recipe is four served. So you can look at chronometer and it tells you then, okay, the whole amount has, let's say, you know, 200 grams of carbs in it, which yeah. means that one serve has 50 grams of carbs, just as an example. I do the same for baking because it's just like, yeah. but then you can count it for a hundred grams and then you sort of just, let's say you're making a loaf, like it's a certain amount of carbs and then you kind of count it for how much a hundred is and then you can just cut off and go from the hundred. Exactly. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, fair. Uh, can you tell me a little about, about a little sorry Uh, can you tell me a little about um eating out as a plant-based eater because i feel maybe now it's a lot easier but it used to be quite hard to find meals that are kind of plant-based yeah so i i think it has become really really easy these days because pretty much where i live anyway like every restaurant will have at least one plant-based option um at least one if not you know a few different ones so it's it really i've never found it to be a problem um when i was on holidays in switzerland uh, there it's sometimes a little bit more tricky because absolutely everything has like bacon and cheese yeah. and lots of things like that in it. Like it's not even, you know, plant-based with, you know, a little bit of feta or something. It's like full on not plant-based. So there it can be a little <laughs> bit harder. Um, but, but, you know, sometimes you just have to be flexible and, and even just, you know, asking for a small tweak and then being okay if it's not perfect as well. Yeah. I mean, Australia is really like, um big on brunches and like like really cute cafes and yeah totally I really want to go there like whenever this corona stuff finishes I am going there definitely as soon as I can um yeah so um I also we briefly spoke about the um, high high carb low fat diet and I know you sort of like spoke to Robbie Barbero for a while did you work with them at all um, no, but there I've met them. I've been to LA, so I've met Robbie and he's super, super lovely, really, really passionate about what they do, which yeah. is awesome. Um, and yeah, so I just kind of chat with them, talk to them sometimes. Um, and I, earlier I did like do a little bit of recipe development for them. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. Um, another thing that I'm kind of like, picking at different stuff now but I'm just remembering stuff that I want to ask you um I know you practice um intuitive eating as a nutritionist so you kind of teach that to your clients I guess if you can teach intuitive eating um but how does it work with diabetes in your opinion um I wouldn't really say that I teach intuitive eating um like intuitive eating I think it's more about listening to your body and a combination of listening to your body in terms of what you want to eat, but also what you know you need to eat or what is going to make you feel good or what's going to serve you best in that moment. So just as an example of that, it might mean, you know, 
choosing to eat a certain meal because that's what you really feel like. But it also might mean waking up in the morning and knowing you're going to train, but not being hungry at all, but still having something to eat because you know you need it in order to fuel your body for that session. So, you know, I teach to eat for your body's needs and also in order to have a good relationship with food at the same time, um, rather than, you know, calling it a certain way of eating. Yeah, again, because it kind of puts these like labels and rules on it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, is there anything at all that you want to mention or chat about? Um, no, I think that was it. I just, I just think that one of the biggest lessons that I've learned in my time as a diabetic is, is not letting diabetes to control my life. I think, especially when I got the CGM is, is when it sort of got a bit out of hand for me as my life was kind of consumed by wanting to get this perfectly flat line on my CGM, but it really became my entire life. Like I was looking at it every five minutes, checking it like so many times a day and I was letting it control my mood. You know, if, a, if it was going up, then I was, I would get angry and I'd get snappy or I would be really angry at myself. Um, and it was just really no way to live. And I think yeah. sometimes as diabetics, we need to learn, yes, good management is super important, but we also have to learn to not let it control us and to sometimes be okay with it not being perfect and just letting things be as they are as well. Yeah, totally. But I, like, I still think we, if we do have those days, we just sort of need to do things that kind of let us snap out of that mindset and just yeah. help us come back to a more as I said, clear-headed and just calm approach to our diabetes. Yeah, I, what I actually do now is, you know, if for some reason I do go high, you know, say that I had a kink in my pump cannula or something yeah. and, and my blood sugar is high, I'll do what I need to do. So I'll give myself a correction or recite my pump and then I'll actually turn the high alarm off on my Dexcom so that screen isn't yellow anymore because it just makes me so mm -hmm. anxious. So that's like a little act of self-care that I do um, just because, you know, I know it's going to take a little while for it to come down and just not having that yellow screen just makes me feel a lot better. So I know it's just like a tiny little kind of silly thing, but it just really does help. Funny, do the same, but um, sometimes like if I'm quite low, I don't pre-bolus as long and I yeah. know that I will spike up, but I'll come down eventually and yeah. I just turn my high alarm off so like I don't overcorrect and don't, that doesn't stress me out. Yeah. Yeah. I think you just need to know like those little things that you can do to just help yourself feel a little bit better because I mean, diabetes is hard and we're doing the job that one of our organs is meant to be doing 24 seven. And that's pretty amazing in itself. So we should give ourselves a little bit more credit for that sometimes. Yeah, it definitely is. Well, Nina, it was amazing to speak to you. You're such a grounded person and you have so many smart and like just really helpful thoughts that you've shared. And I just want to thank you for coming on and taking the time to do this. Thank you so much. It's been really nice to chat. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye. It has been such an honor to have Nina come and chat about her experiences with diabetes and share so many incredible tips and knowledge bombs about living with type one and eating with type one. If you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have, please rate, review and subscribe this episode and the podcast in your podcast app. It really helps the podcast get 
found. Also check out the previous episodes. I am sure you will really enjoy them and I will speak to you in a week.